How are you this morning? Excellent. It's so, so good to be here. It's so, so good to be with you. I'm so encouraged by the words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 1, when he says, I wish you would put up with a little foolishness from me. Yes, do put up with me. And then he goes on to say this. For I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy. Because I have promised you in marriage to one husband. To present you as a pure virgin to Christ. It's encouraging words because it reminds us of a couple of things. It reminds us that the local church is central to all of life. We have a very sound care and conviction of the centrality of a local church in a person's life. It reminds us of our responsibility. We don't just gather for the sake of gathering. We gather out of care and love for each other, care over each other's lives. We care about the life, the vitality, and the purpose of a local church. And we read these and we say, God, do that in us. Calls us, Lord, help us to care about your people and your church, God, with just a portion of your care. And Lord, we'll be all the better for it. And it's kind of on that foundation that I introduce to you Andrew McKay. He's going to come to us today and he's going to speak to us about the local church. Or maybe the church universal or maybe a combination of both. But guys, this is a subject matter that God help us care about. So, Andrew, I want you to come forward if you would and I'm going to let you introduce your family. Sure. And uh, come on up, brother. And let's uh, work. I was telling Moon, I've been really curious about how he and Jason are so able to absolutely kill the microphone. I mean, I have a microphone on them and they, they don't need it. And I, I've now figured out it's because he's used to doing this without a microphone. So I'm going to try to do this as loud as I can. And if you can't hear me, somebody make me look down. It'll be okay. Uh, uh, the, the marriage analogy for what's happening in our churches is a good one. Um, and if that's true, then this is kind of like the first time your fiancé takes you to a family get-together. And you don't know which uncle you're supposed to impress, and you're not real sure exactly how that's supposed to play out. My kids got shot. My kids have never been shy. They both like Grace is always a little. Luke's never been shy in his life. Um, my wife is Rebecca. She's back here in the gray sweater. Um, wave your hand and say hi. That's Rebecca. Um, my little girl Grace is sitting next to her. Um, my wife's cousin Amanda is next to her. Uh, we've been watching Amanda. She's usually with my wife's parents, but uh, you may know my father-in-law is having some medical things going on, and so for that time, Amanda's stuck with us. Let me tell you, parenting a teenager is fun. <laughs> um, Until you have your own. That's it. I'm sure that's true. I'm sure that's true. Uh, and Luke is my little boy, and he's back in there having a blast, I'm sure. Um, let me tell you a little bit about me so you know kind of where, where I'm coming from. Um, I met Jesus when I was five or six. I'm, I'm blessed to, to you know, grow up in a Christian home where my parents loved the Lord um, and led me to him. And I'm, I praise God for that. That's just a wonderful gift. 
And when I was 10, my parents decided to move to Puerto Rico. And that makes me about the luckiest person in the world. I got to live there for eight years, beaches, rainforests, that sort of stuff. It was awesome. Wouldn't trade it for the world. Um, And God did really cool things in our lives. Uh, When I was 13, I met Rebecca. And she uh, chased her around for five years. We went our separate ways for college. Uh, We kept up by email. And when we were 23, 24, no, 22, 23, we finally figured out we should probably just get married. Um, And we've been in the Beckley area ever since. Um, I've worked for banks and publishers, and right now I work for Hamlet. I run his office, um, and my but my heart is in words. My heart is in words, which is a convenient thing because I think God conveys a lot of His heart to us in the Word, um, and He was careful about how He did that. And he crafted good words, and I think He does that. Um, he works through words, and I've always been kind of a book nerd is what I'm trying to say. I'm a big book nerd. Um, and I hope that's okay. I'll try not to be too book nerdy this morning. Um, what I'm going to do this morning is I want to share with you what God's laid on my heart as we kind of go into this transition. It's a bit of a transition. A lot of people have been through a church split, um, and those are never fun. What we're doing is kind of the opposite of that. We're doing a church join. Um, We're taking two bodies and we're making one new body out of that. Um, That's exciting. I'm really excited for our people to get some of what you guys have. And hopefully for some of what's good about us to rub off on you guys. I think that's beautiful. That's the church being the church. Um, That doesn't mean it'll be perfect. We'll probably have a lot of things where it's... So what time are we doing that? Um, not exactly sure yet. That sort of stuff will happen. But it's an exciting time. It's a, it's a good time. I think the marriage analogy is, is a good one. Um, you know, it's kind of, you got to figure things out, work out how this works together, learn about each other. Um, but it's exciting. It's an exciting time. So I want to talk to you about the church, because I've had to think a lot about the church as we've gone into this. Um, what can I say about the church? There's a lot in scripture about how the church is like the body. Last week was the Masters. That's a big golf tournament. Um, Some of you may have watched some of it. Others of you may be like, if this guy talks about golf for more than 20 seconds, I'm out. That's okay. Um, It won't be long. That's my wife. I was like, yes, please stop talking about golf. Um, The body, right? If you watch someone play golf well, the body works together. Their feet are lined up. Their knees are bent a certain way. Their elbows are doing something right. Their wrists are are a certain way. They're lined up. And it's a beautiful thing. Uh, My brother-in-law, Josiah, has a gorgeous golf swing. I mean, you watch it, you're like, wow, that is like watching a gazelle run. It's just right. The body is doing things together. Now, of anyone I've ever met, and I will go ahead and say probably anyone in this room, I have the worst golf swing. It's the body doing things wrong. It's, I can't get my feet quite lined up. My knees don't want to bend just right. My elbows are wrong. My wrists are wrong. And it looks awful. And it plays awful, too. It's terrible to watch. It's not fun. So when we think about the body, we think about how it works together. And 
And scripture says some of us are hands and some of us are eyes, and the eye can't see to the hand to say to the hand, Oh, you're not important because you're a hand. We're all needed. And just like in that golf swing, we're, we're all needed. The body analogy for the church is powerful. Uh, there's a, a famous actor from the 80s named Michael J. Fox, and he has Parkinson's. Uh, and he describes his morning battle with his body. He describes it this way. I blindly fumble a plastic vial from my nightstand, dry swallow a couple of pills, and then I fall immediately into the first series of actions that, while largely automatic, demand practice determination. I swing my legs around to the side of the bed, and the instant my feet hit the floor, the two of them are in an argument. A condition called dystonia, a regular complement of Parkinson's disease, cramps my feet severely and curls them inward, pressing my ankles toward the floor and my soles towards each other as though they are about to close in prayer. I snake my right foot out toward the edge of the rug, toe-hook one of my hard leather loafers. I force my foot into the shoe, repeat the process with the left foot, and then cautiously stand up. Chastened by the unyielding confines of the leather, my feet begin to behave themselves. The spasms have stopped, but the aching will persist for the next 20 minutes or so. He goes on to describe his morning process is about an hour. It's just his body fighting against itself. It's been on my heart that as we become one body, we need to be like the golf swing, like the good golf swing, not like my golf swing. We need to be working together. We need to be in unison, united. We need to not be like Michael J. Fox describes that fight. Fight. We need to be united. So how do we do that? Well, I think we do it two ways. I think we do it by preaching to ourselves and preaching to each other truth about what Jesus believes about the church and truth about how we are supposed to be the church. So I want to take a look at two passages And I want to see, what does Jesus believe about the church? How does Jesus orient himself toward the church? Then I want to see, how should we orient ourselves towards the church? How should we behave as the church? We need to be preparing our hearts for transition. And that can be a wonderful thing, and it can be a challenging thing. But I think if we can get a hold of these truths, if we can preach to ourselves what Jesus believes about the church, and how we ought to be the church think we'll serve each other very well. Let's pray and then we'll look at the text. Father God, we love you. We lift your name up here in Southern West Virginia this morning. We know that that's part of your work that you are doing in the world is lifting your name up. We want your name to be made holy. We know that you will do it. God, we long for your will to be done on earth like it is in heaven. We long for the day when you make that complete, and until that day, we ask you to be at work in our hearts, drawing us together as the church, drawing us closer to Christ, that we may be more like him. God, restore restore your right place in the world. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to start out in Ephesians 5. You'll make your way to Ephesians 5. I'm going to read verses 22 to 33. And 
This is a passage that people usually preach from when they want to tell you how husbands and wives should relate to each other. And I'm not going to touch that at all, which is awesome, because now I can say, I preached Ephesians 5, and I never had to deal with the really hard parts. But Ephesians 5 also says these wonderful things about Christ and the church. These beautiful things. I mean, explosively beautiful. You need to grab a hold of these things. So, Let's read Ephesians 5, I'm going to read verses 22 to 33, and then we'll just talk about it a little bit. Listen for references to the church, alright? Wives, submit to your own husbands, as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man will leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. Let the wife see that she respects her husband. So that's a pretty weighty passage. There's like, you know, you could probably preach for four weeks on that passage. But I want to draw out just the parts about Christ and the church. So let me, I'm going to give them to you, itemized in the order that they occur. The first thing it says about Christ and the church is that Christ is the head of the body, uh, head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Second thing it says is the church submits to Christ. The third thing it says is Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she may be holy and without blemish. That's one thing. One huge thing. And the fourth thing it says is that Christ nourishes the church because we are members of his body. Those are beautiful truths. Christ is the head, and is himself her Savior. There's a lot of things in Scripture about why Christ died, why Christ went to the cross. One thing that is accurate to say, according to the Apostle Paul here in Ephesians, is that Christ died for the church. Now, he's talking about the church universal, and it applies to the church locally. And what I mean by that is that there's a sense in which, as believers... We're part of the whole church, which is everybody in the world who believes in Jesus and is redeemed by him. But that, that's shown, that's manifested in little local bodies, like the body here, like the body kind of across town in Providence. We are manifestations of the church, the church universal. Christ died for the church. Christ loves her, gave himself up for her. That doesn't break your heart and just get into your heart and work on it. I don't know what will. 
He loves the church. Gave himself up for her. He is himself her savior. That is beautiful. That is, you can, it's okay to imagine a knight in shining armor coming to rescue the church. That's what Jesus is. He is, he's our savior. And he did that for us, for the church. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. Puts the church in the context of the gospel. The gospel is so essential. You need to be preaching the gospel to yourself. And the church is part of the gospel. It's not just, hey, get saved. It's get saved so that you can be part of this thing that God is doing. Why did Jesus do that? Because he loves us. He loves the church. And he wants to present us to himself in splendor, sanctified, holy, without blemish. Kind of like the second Corinthians passage. Paul is anxious about that. He repeats that same idea here. This is Jesus' work through the church. He's sanctifying us, drawing us together. I'm excited about the opportunities for that to happen as we get to know each other better. Um, part of, you know, there's that Old Testament saying that iron, iron sharpens iron. And that sounds really cool, iron sharpens iron. It's actually really painful. Because what that means is your rough edges and my rough edges rub up against each other until they're sharp. And that hurts. It can be hard. Um, but it's exciting. It's wonderful. That's how God works off our rough edges. And I'm excited about that. I'm excited about seeing Christ sanctify us together. It's amazing. Christ nourishes the church. That's his work. Now, he does that in particular ways. He does that through us, through the body. He does that through leaders like Moon and Hamlet and Jason and me. Sets them up and he says, Now go, nourish the church, nourish the body. Now, he does it in such a serious way that it's like the way a man loves himself. That's the analogy. Do you love yourself? Are you pretty good at that? I'm great at that. I'm amazing. I like to eat, I like to sleep, I, I like to do things that nourish me. I'm great at that. I hope I'm getting good at doing that with my wife. That's the primary context of the passage. A man ought to do that for his wife. And then the, the, the presser, the, the punch is, Christ does that for the church. He does that for the church. He loves the church. He nourishes the church. He's feeding the church. And right now, one of the ways he's doing that is by bringing two churches together and making them one church. That's amazing. That is so neat to get to see that happen. That's exciting. Christ nourishes the church. He's the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Rest in that this week if you rest in nothing else. That Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her. That's amazing. That is comforting. It's powerful. It's life-changing. Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her. One of the things you need to do as you prepare your heart for transition is preach to yourself that Christ loves me, part of the church. He gave himself up for the church, for me, as part of the church. It's amazing. Praise God. It's amazing. What a wonderful thing to us. And he's sanctifying her, and he's nourishing her, and we're part of that. We all get to be a part of that in each other's lives, 
It's exciting, and it's scary, and it's awesome. It's amazing. It's beautiful truth. One of the things you need to do as you prepare for this transition is you need to rest in the truth about how Christ feels about the church. And Christ loves the church. He gave himself up for it. I could say that a million times and end the sermon, I think it'd be a great sermon. Christ loves the church. But then how, about, how are we supposed to act as the church? Flip over just a few pages to Colossians 3. Uh, this is a passage that exists in my head as the putting off, putting on passage. Put off some things, put on some things. But it has a church context. I'm going to read verses 1 through 17, uh, and then we'll talk. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. That's the church reference right there, by the way. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Wow. Paul can write. As a book nerd, that's just, that you can write. You just won't find anything like it anywhere. This, this passage has some significant implications for how we are the church, though. Um, very significant. There's a church context here. Paul sees this as things that happen in the context of the church. Because this is to what you were called in one body. The peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. There's a church context. Let's just work through the passage quickly. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jews, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. Christ is all 
and in all. There's this wonderful thing that happens when you're saved. Put off the old man, you put on the new man. And it's not your work, it's God's work. He does that for you. He redeems you and he does this work in you. And it's not perfect, but it starts right there. And the rest of that process happens in context. In what context? In the church. That's where this happens. This is where sanctification and renewal and growth happen. Where they start. It has to happen in your whole life. They are certainly anchored in your participation in the church. We're being renewed in knowledge after the image of the Creator. Tim Keller talks about um, the arc of what God is doing in history. He's certainly not the only one to use this, um, but it's a beautiful arc. The fall, the creation, the fall, redemption, and restoration. Do you know that the church is part of the restoration? We're part of the restoration of God's work. And that begins when God restores your heart to a right relationship. That's where that starts. That's an amazing thing that's happening in us. And it won't happen perfectly until Christ returns, but it's happening imperfectly, and sometimes we're terrible at it, and sometimes we're good at it. It's happening in us. We are part of God's restoring work in the world. That's amazing. That's so cool. Because things kind of bad. Sometimes the world seems pretty gross. It's certainly been a week for that been a week where my prayer life has been challenged. Ugly things have happened. I haven't really known how much or what exactly to explain to my kids. Luke more than Grace. Grace, Grace is mostly worried about scraping her knee. Um, yeah, but you don't know how to explain this stuff. And my heart in that is how long, oh Lord, until you come? How long? But you've got to realize Part of why we're here is to restore things back to the right relationship with God. So God's doing a beautiful thing through the church. He's restoring a right order, and he's doing it not all the way, because it won't happen all the way until Christ comes. But he's doing it. He's doing it in us. That's amazing. And that has really big, uh, really big implications for how we behave as a community. So does the rest of this passage. We're part of God's restoration. That's exciting. That's amazing. We're, you know, the world was created. Mankind fell. Christ redeemed us. And now God is, the rest of his plan is this big arc of how he's restoring the world to a right relationship with him. That's amazing. Um, put on compassionate hearts. Kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. That's a really big challenge. Those are characteristics that I would love to exhibit all at once in a perfect way, but I'm just not there. Chances are most of you aren't either. And that makes being a community hard. Because it means that we hurt each other's feelings. We say things and then find out later that somebody misheard that and they're really deeply hurt. Um, this sort of stuff happens all the time in the church. And this is the antidote. The antidote is to pursue transformation 
so that we can forgive each other, so that we can so that we can love each other, so that we can bear with one another. There's going to be a lot of bearing with one another, I'd say. That's, I mean, that's life in the church, is bearing with one another. Figuring out that, oh, hey, you know, Andrew's got this particular problem, and I know a little bit about how to deal with that, so let me come alongside him and bear with him. Some of the most beautiful things God has done in my life as a believer have been through wise men who bore with me, who said, let me come alongside you, let me bear you up, let me pray with you, let me, let me be after you, let me, next week let's talk about this again, I want to hear how you're doing. That's beautiful when God does that. That's how, we, how community is built. These are Christ-like characteristics too. Christ-like characteristics. We're becoming more like Him. That's part of the work of the church. It's to equip saints and make them look more like Jesus. And it's beautiful when that happens. Above all these, put on love, which binds together everything in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. We're called to that. We're called to that. That means when God saves us, He's calling us out of whatever we were in and to be united as a body that lets the peace of Christ rule in their hearts. That's a big deal. How do you do that? Well, I think he ties it together with letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Dwell in you richly. That's like two steps from the default, right? Because it'd be one thing to let it dwell in you, but it's even more, richly. Let it dwell in you richly. In a big way. In a huge way. Let it dwell in you. And I think that's just something that's key for believers. to be in the Word. It's to be letting the Word dwell in us. That's more than just, oh, I read my Bibles, I did my, or, I read my Bible, I did my devos. But that's part of it. It's an important part of it. If you're not in the Word, how can it dwell in you richly? You're not exposing yourself to it consistently. That's easier than it's ever been in history, too. So if you're not doing that, you have no excuse. If, if saints of old could do it when they didn't have printed books, you know, like this, when they didn't have Facebook and iPhone apps and all kinds of ways to receive Scripture, if they can do it, you ought to be able to do it. You ought to be in the Word. And you ought to be dwelling on it. You ought to be meditating on it. You ought to be considering it all day long. It's a big deal. That's how we find the peace of Christ. We find that transformation. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Here's what I want you to imagine. Um, there's the old idea of, of emissary. An emissary was someone who went for the king or queen and, and communicated on their behalf. Um, so, for example, since I'm from Canada, I could be an emissary for Canada to you guys. And nowadays, we don't, again, because we've got Facebook and Skype and all these wonderful things, this matters less. But 200 years ago, if I came as an emissary for Canada, I would be all that you knew about Canada. I'd be it. And if I was a good guy, you'd think Canada must be a good place. 
If I was a bad guy, you'd think, wow, I'm never going to kingdom. Emissary. So somebody who comes and communicates um, on behalf of the king or the queen. You know, I could be an emissary for Queen Elizabeth. In Canada, we still have a queen. I know that sounds really foreign, but it's kind of neat. We like her. Um, she's kind of stately looking. She doesn't really do anything, but we like her. Um, <laughs> so going as an emissary for the king, that's what it's like when we do everything on behalf of Christ. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. We're proclaiming what's true about Jesus. Now you are, by virtue of being in the church and being a professed believer, you're an emissary for Jesus whether you like it or not. You're already doing this. People are looking at you and they're going, oh, that guy says he's a believer. That Jesus, he must really make a difference. Or they're looking at you and going, that guy says he's a believer. Man, I don't want anything to do with Jesus. That's scary. It's weight truth that we are emissaries for Christ, that we do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. It's a big deal. Our actions are on behalf of our king, our great king, who, by the way, how does the king feel about us? Remember the first part of the message? He loves us. He gave himself up for us. He's our white knight in shining armor coming to save the day. And now, having been redeemed, we're his emissaries. We do everything in the name of Christ. Everything. Oh yeah, give thanks to God the Father through him. Thankfulness is about the best quality that we can have as we go into transition. Remembering how much we've been given. Remembering that Christ loves us, gave himself up for us, and is transforming us. And being thankful for that changes everything. Here's what it's like. Um, last Saturday night, my wife was giving the kids, and Amanda, who's not a kid, some M&M's in a little cup. So three little cups of M&M's, and it gets a cup. Big brother starts them away, little sister, you know, like a girl, eats one, chews it for about 20 seconds, thinks about playing with something, comes back, eats another one, and in about a minute and a half, Luke is down with three M&Ms left in his cup, and Grace has got a full cup. So for the first time in my son's life, mom, dad, this isn't fair. <laughs> But I, I was in the middle of working on these passages and sat up straight, had them just right, that we need to be thankful. I said, Luke, come here. So he came over and he sat down. And I said, Do you enjoy your MMs? Yeah. Do you have a lot in that cup? Yeah. Son, you need to be thankful. God gave you these M&M's and he wants you to take great joy in the M&M's that he gave you. But he does not want you to sit there and hand. You get to choose. This is how our lives are too. We get to choose. You've got M&M's in your life. There are good things happening to you. There are. You might not be really adept at seeing them right now. Maybe things have been rough for a while. I've been there. Sometimes life goes like but there are good things. God is a loving Father who longs to give His children bread, not stones. 
doing that in your life right now. And it's like that little cup of heaven else. You can sit there and you can count how many you got left and say, but God, that's not fair. Or you can be joyful with what you've been given. You can enjoy the many gifts that God's given you. And I promise you they're there. Sometimes they're harder to see in our They're there. We're called to a life of thankfulness. We're called to that. It's important that we be thankful for what God's given us. Thankful people are different people, too. Um, the people who are always counting, and you've met those people. You may be related to some of them. I know I am. The people who are always counting are the people who at Thanksgiving sit around and compare who's got the bigger new deck off the house. Oh, I see you put in a, a pool. Bean shaped. Expensive. <laughs> I see. They're counting. And they're counting in their head. That guy's got a new card on me. That guy has whatever I don't have. They're counting. And it's just a whole world of difference to be thankful. Look at everything I have. It comes from my king who loves me so much he gave himself up for me. Now he's sanctifying me. He's nourishing me. And it's as part of the church. What a wonderful truth to grab a hold of. Be thankful. Don't count your M&M's and compare them to everybody else around you. Enjoy that you've got to eat M&M's. M&M's are great. That's true. What are the takeaways from all this? There are about 15 of them. And that's the sign of a really poorly crafted sermon. There's a book by a guy named Haddon Robinson that says, if you have more than one point, you did it wrong. I'm just going to confess, I'm very content to do it wrong today. Here are the conclusions. Christ is the head of the church, and you can rest in that. It's not any man, it's not any one person. God does it through men that he calls to be elders, but Christ is the head. And you have good elders when they're submitted to Christ. And let me tell you guys, living through fellowship, you guys have great elders. Great elders. Christ is the head. The church submits to Christ. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Then he could sanctify her. He nourishes the church. He is all in all. When we are transformed by him, Christ is all in all. We have some things that, as a church, it's our responsibility to put on. Things like humility, compassion, and patience. We're called to be one body that loves and that lets the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. It's a beautiful turn of phrase, and it's just so necessary. We need to steep ourselves in the peace of Christ. We need to let the word dwell richly. We need to do everything as an emissary of Jesus, and we need to be thankful, not counting our MMs. These are really important things for us as the body of Christ. They're really important things for us as Living Truth Fellowship and Providence Bible Church become whatever we're going to call that thing. And by the way, that's another one of those things that we don't know yet, and that's okay. But God is doing beautiful work in his church. And he has been throughout history. Even with the, the sometimes bad things that have been done in the name of the church. By and large, God has done wonderful things through his church. Over and over and over again. 
and he continues to do that work today. This is the way he chooses to work. It's through us being together, worshiping together, hearing the word together, and living in community. That's great. I'm so excited to do that together, but only because I know that Christ loves us. He's the head of the church. And he loves us so much, he gave himself up for us, and now he's working in us so that he can present us to himself one day in splendor and glory. Let's pray. Father God, we proclaim that Christ is the head. He's the head and we're relying on him. God, we submit to Christ as the church. We just want to say Christ is all in all. We submit to him. God, we worship the risen Savior who loved the church and gave himself up for her. And we're so glad. We celebrate. Jesus loves us. He gave himself up. We're redeemed. Christ nourishes us. God, we look for that nourishment. We look for your work in us through your church. And we love you, God. We're so excited to be drawn closer to you and closer to each other through the work of Christ. Amen. Thanks, Andy. So this morning our M&M's runneth over. a challenge that I face, and I'd say we all face, I think the challenge is looking at our life, looking at our life in the church, and asking, what's my purpose here? Do I have a purpose? What am I really accomplishing and changing for the glory of God? Is my purpose significant enough to really be accomplishing anything for God? I mean, I, I face that even in the midst of pastoring and shepherding. I'm evaluating purpose and saying, God, am I really making a difference? Because when I think about church history, I'm looking backward. And I'm defining church history as the apostolic age, where I'm looking at the Reformation or I'm looking at just different eras and different times, and I'm evaluating that, and I'm saying, that's church history. But there's another reality, and the reality is there is a dot that is placed in the era in which we live, and it's called the local church, and it's part of church history, and we're part of that. The reality is we are, we are engaged and involved in church history. And it may not be a history that's read about in a book someday. But I believe it is church, or it is history that God is fully aware of. And that's the history that we're a part of. So, so this mindset that we have at times, do I really have a purpose? And is it significant? I want to say and encourage you, yes it is. It's very significant. We are a part of church history. And I pray that as we do move forward, guys, 
look, it's not about, I want to be a part of something to be remembered. I want to be a part of something so that God receives all glory in relation to what we're doing. And you know what? Guys, I'm just going to be blatantly honest. I look at my lives and I say, do I even have the ability to discern? Question. I question every aspect of decision making. But I think if the reality is and the mindset is, God, this is all about you, your glory, your church that you're building. Thank you for allowing us to even have the opportunity to be in the series of times. What a measure of grace that is. Because, God, if I'm an emissary on my own, I will blow this thing to a thousand pieces, Lord. So, I want to ask you this morning to stand with a mindset of celebration in relation to the realities that Andrew's brought to our attention because they're all measures of grace that began when God called us into a relationship with Himself when we were dead in our sins and he loved us enough in the midst of our sinfulness that that dead, sinful, wicked, hearted state and God said, I'm choosing you in the midst of who you are anyway to come and enter into a relationship with me. That's where it begins. That's where our church history begins and that's where church history has purpose not about what we'll be remembered as individually, but God, that prayerfully, hopefully, in the midst of, of our inabilities, you're going to bring glory to your name and allow us to just be used. And Lord, we'll do that just the best way we can. Help us in the midst of poor decision-making and just be human, Lord. Give us, give us wisdom, show us grace, show us mercy. Lord, Guys, the reason to celebrate this morning is way up here. We have so much to celebrate this morning because God is so faithful. Look back to your conversion and see the faithfulness of God. Look back to your conversion as we move ahead and know that if He's faithful then, we can only look at His faithfulness in the future. Amen to that? Amen. Let's celebrate.